Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You may not know the name of Hiram Young, but he's one of the most influential people in Kansas City history. Back around the time of the Civil War and slavery, Hiram Young was a slave who bought his own freedom and set up a business in independence that really took the world by storm, and he used good to do good for others. Here's the story of Hiram Young. I have to say, Diane, this story that we're going to talk about today may be one of my favorites that we've done in a very, very long time. I I thought it was one of the coolest things to just kind of read about this guy, Hiram Young, and and how he basically changed, I I don't want to say changed his life around, but was able to kind of find a way to emerge from from slavery and and do some pretty cool things a really smart dude that was like forward thinking for the time i think yeah and especially amazing considering this happened in missouri yeah right pre <laughs> pre civil war i mean like this guy was able to make a name for himself and really become a pretty predominant african american figure historically speaking for this area but then also something that's referenced nationwide which is really cool yeah and i think the the, really the cool thing about it is is he he started to think about like i guess you could say his life and his future and Mm -hmm. really had it figured out that if i find a way for my wife to get free then all of our kids that are going to be born are going to be free and they're not going to be part of slavery in the united states of america and and to get his wife free he had to raise enough money and basically buy, not basically, he had to buy her freedom and was able to do so and, and really kind of laid kind of a legacy by doing that, just doing that, you know, no, nothing yeah. else that he's accomplished, but just that in and of itself, this guy left a great legacy. He did. And I mean, that's something that a lot of people don't know or forgot from, or maybe weren't taught. I'm not sure. But in slavery, um, the condition of the child goes with the mother. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, uh, uh, predominantly, especially in small slaveholding families in Missouri, because we weren't a big plantation style area, you know, here. Um, So a lot of people had smaller plantations or a smaller population of slaves, not saying that makes it any better. But that means that in order to, you know, get married or have a family with you, you had to look outside of your own, the slaves that you lived with. And so they would, you know, essentially, you know, meet up with the the slave that was down the road and start a family with them because they couldn't legally marry. And then if the child was born to the woman and she was enslaved, then that meant the child was a slave as well. So it didn't even matter if Hiram was a freedman, if he was having a child 
with a woman who was still enslaved, that means his child was a slave. So he really thought about those things. And of course, I mean, I don't know how anybody couldn't think about that, but he was, he was a seriously gifted guy. So he's born around 1812. We know, you know, of course he doesn't know exactly when he's born, Mm -hmm. which is one of those things that you notice that when you do records on African-Americans in this time period, a lot of them use January 1st as their birthday or Christmas as their birthday later on, because it was, you know, uh, just kind of a symbol, symbolic birthday, if you will. So he's born around 1812 in Hawkins County, um, Tennessee, and he's a slave. He's one of the earliest success stories we've got. He's really good. At, he's a skilled mechanic. And I think people don't realize that what a skilled mechanic at the time, I think cars, of course, you know, sure, sure. in modern day, we think of cars. Well, that's the old wagon maker. The wagon maker is now a mechanic. So it, like if you look at old plat maps, even places where that once were blacksmith shops, even in the 19 teens and 20s, turn into gas stations later. So these guys were mechanics. And so he was such a skilled guy that he was able, whoever owned him, and we're not exactly sure who that is, which you think somebody along the way would have been like, dude, tell us your story. But maybe it was just like something he didn't want to talk about. We don't know. But he was either owned by this guy named Judge Sawyer or George Young. It, there's conflicting re- accounts there. But he's very, very, very talented. And his owner is willing to let him work on the side for his own money. So he's able to raise enough money to first buy himself, which is in and of itself is, I mean, you can imagine this would have been a big loss for his owner. Mm-hmm. He's able to buy himself. And then he, he meets this beautiful slave named Matilda Hooterson or Hutterson. She was born around 1824 and he buys her um, essentially for about $800. And that had to have been before she gave birth to their one daughter that they had, because we know that there is no record that she was born into slavery. So he works for his own wages and purchases himself for $2,500, then purchases his wife. They end up moving to Lafayette County and they're likely following the trail traffic. So the Santa Fe Trail. And we've talked a lot about the Santa Fe Trail um on our on this podcast so the santa fe trail really the hub ends up being by the 1820s ends up being independence missouri and really that traffic gets switched to westport missouri later on but for whatever the reason he ends up moving from the liberty area to independence about 1850 and just to give you an idea this is a shocking statistic because i think it has to be said He was one of only 41 free Blacks in all of Jackson County, Missouri. Wow, that's a big number. I mean, well, not a big number, but a a small number is what I'm getting at. That that is a very small number. That that tells you how unbelievable this is. Well, because also, if you were freed, and we're talking 1850, so you got to think... The Lawrence thing isn't happening yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you don't have the free state thing happening yet. You don't have this Kansas is, you know, the, the saving grace for, you know, move over into Kansas. You don't have the Underground Railroad leading you to Kansas or anything like that. But you would think once that happened, he'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> I got to get into safety. Yeah. But for whatever the reason, he chose to go to independence and, and pretty much stay there. And he's one of 41 free Blacks. And there are 2,969 documented slaves in 1850, right? And the population of whites is 10,990. One of 41 free men. Shocking. Well, that, that's, that's really crazy when, when you think about what, what percentage is. I mean, it's such a small percentage. But I think the, the, the 
interesting thing about this story for me was, I don't know, as you mentioned earlier, if I forgot, I didn't know. I didn't mm-hmm. realize slaves could buy their freedom. I, I didn't know yeah. that was a thing. And, and I find that to be, to me, one of the more interesting points of, of this story that kind of gets buried in our conversation and, and our talk mm-hmm. about, you know, a lot of the, the uh, you know, the slave state versus the free state is that yeah. the buying of the freedom. Now, I'm sure it was an insane amount of money and it was hard to do. This mm-hmm. guy's owner allowed him to work on the side, which is crazy in and of itself for the times. Yeah. But but what what kind of, I guess, precedent or whatever what was set by being able to buy your freedom? Was that something that everybody knew about at the time or was that kind of like just a hidden thing that they didn't let anybody know about at the time? It was really not that common. Um, it was you you would hope that would happen. Yeah. But there was a lot of things in slavery in general that people don't realize that like New Year's Day was like the most hated day of the year for them, because that's when. They, they people rented out their slaves to other homes. And so you didn't know if your family was going to be split up for the entire year. Um, and so the idea that you could buy your freedom, first of all, even earning your own money, a lot of those guys would, would, would rent you out to somebody else and expect you to bring back the money and, and give it to them. So you had to have a, I don't want to say a special slave owner, right? Because that sounds just a little bit, uh, you know, kind of an oxymoron, but um, it wasn't, it wasn't across the board, but we did see if you, if you've ever read Harriet Jacobs, Incidents of a Life of a Slave Girl, it's a great book. Um, I've got plenty of copies if you want to check it out. It is, it also talks about her grandmother was able to buy her freedom and she was very well respected in the neighborhood, but that didn't mean her whole family was free. So this is what, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? Is that even if you could buy your freedom, you had to be able to, you had to be able to split from the rest of your family likely, because if you wanted to move on, right? Mm -hmm. Because the rest of your family is enslaved still. And, and yes, any chance they could be sold off and to, into to wherever, but you had to be able to take the risk. This guy didn't just buy his freedom. He bought his freedom outside of Jackson County, Missouri and moved here. So then he had to establish himself in a new life in a town that was pro-slavery. I mean, it's like, so how, how did that work? Right? But how did that work, Diane? I mean, like if, if you bought your slavery, let's, or your freedom, let's say in, in Southern Missouri, and you moved up here to the Kansas city area back in the day. How did you prove? How were you not taken back into slavery? Where somebody says, "I don't care, man. I'm I'm bringing you back into slavery." How does that work? Well, that happened. Just so you know, that did happen. Um, you carried your papers. You had free papers. Mm-hmm. So, and he was described as being about six foot three, which is real tall for the day. And he had a really high voice and he was light skinned. So he's likely a, what we would call a mulatto or a mixed race man. That doesn't make it easier. There's one photo of him that exists. You can Google it. <laughs> There's one photo and he clearly looked, I mean, he, he's an, he looks African-American. It's not like he could pass for white. Um, he just, I think he was so talented. I was talking to KCUR about this recently. I think he was just so talented that he that was just a general respect for him in the community so he started to work you know um, making his own wages and purchasing his freedom then when he gets to to independence he sets up a wagon making shop he's not the only business in town to be clear but what's kind of really cool about this is that um 
he is the first in independence, like when he's first in independence, he establishes a log cabin or moves into this log cabin. It has no door. He has to hang animal hides on the, on the sides of it just for warmth. I mean, so he's living in agony, Um, but he makes ox yokes and wagons for travelers on the trail. And and this is especially important for government freighting. And got to remember that the Santa Fe trail was really a commercial highway, not a you know, let's take our, it's not an Oregon trail game. <laughs> it's not, you know, you don't have your own family with you for this, but mm-hmm. so the, so the better that the quality of the wagon, the more weight it could carry, the better the journey would be. And he was just so good at his job. He also established a relationship with the first who ends up being the first mayor of independence, whose last name happens to be McCoy, uh, but not related William McCoy. So he ends up getting in with him. And what's really cool is this guy is his business is developing. Hiram cannot read or write. People called him high, by the way. Mm-hmm. Hi, hi. Um, he, he, he's, he can't read or write. So he has to have somebody help him with his books. And this guy who happens to be a merchant who ends up being the first mayor of independence helps him out. So he has people who are willing to work with him because he's so freaking talented. It's said that he could look at a tree and tell you how many, how many logs he could get out of it. Just like, just by the height and be like, we're going to be able to make four, you know, four different sides of the wagon train or a, a wagon with this. Wow. Like he just was so good at what he did. And, and you got to, again, I think it's important to keep reminding that this is a major success story and that the time period did not support these types of things. Um, there's some laws that I found like in 1845 in independence, slaves couldn't assemble in groups of six or more in 1857 anyone of color, which would include Hiram, anyone of color was gathered, uh, was banned from gathering even for religious purposes. So do you think they were paranoid <laughs> about what was going on? Like, yeah, they were hanging on for slavery for the, you know, the, for dear life. Yeah. I mean, but, but, but also too, it's not just the, the fact that he started this wagon shop and was able to sell, I don't know, 50,000, you know, yokes a oh, year yeah. for people, but the fact that he used it as a way for other slaves to gain their freedom, like basically yeah. paying for their freedom and allowing them to work it off. So it was never just all about him. This guy was always from the, from the minute, you know, the story starts to where we are now, always thinking about ways to make it better for others. And you just don't see a lot. Even today, people no. are so, you know, self-centered. But this guy yeah. was out there saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy these slaves and I'm going to allow them to work off their freedom for me. And he was able to free a lot of people, man. And, and I think that's so cool to think about. Maybe mm-hmm. he didn't get into the wagon business essentially to make money off of helping people with their wagons. But more importantly, he got into it so he could buy freedom for others. Yeah, I mean, he did. He developed such a big business. And and, and you got to imagine that independence isn't that big of a town. And, and Westport was still replacing independence for the traffic, but he was comfortable where he was. I doubt he was willing to take a, a chance on moving to Westport, Missouri. Um, he did own slaves, three in 1860. Um, and I actually was able to find something new about him, which was very interesting. I mean, he was able to build up an empire around him. So he uh, these these yoked oxen would carry about six to eight thousand pounds on one of them. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine the quality of work that he had to do, um, and he built his uh, a big brick home, had a, almost a five hundred acre farm, and he by eighteen sixty is employing fifty to sixty men in his shop, both black and white. Some 
free, you know, some of these were slaves. And then he had 20 others on his farm, which he of course had his farm in forestry or in the forest. Mm -hmm. So he could cut down and use the lumber. Um, I found an article in the Wyandotte County newspaper. And, and it, when I find stuff like this, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Cause it's already amazing that he would have bought slaves and he would keep them as slaves because he wanted them to work off what he paid them or paid for them. Sure. Which I, I mean, he's still a businessman, but at the same time he did, you know, let them work them off their freedom, which was unusual. So I found that there was a, there, there were these former slaves named, and this was after Hiram died. So they were, you know, talked to these people, former slaves who worked for Hiram Young and were, you know, allegedly slaves of his, you know, they probably bought their freedom. And the one that caught my name was Riley Young, his own brother. So he identifies his brother as Riley Young. So he was able somehow to buy his brother along the way. And, you know, who knows if he had to travel or hire somebody to, you know, do the bidding. And then there was a woman named Lucy Jones and a guy named Wesley Cunningham. And what is so cool is that I find these names in the newspaper and they're all in, identified as living in Quindaro or living in Wyandotte County. And I thought, that's really cool. And then when I looked them up in the census record for the about the same time period, they're all living together. And that to me tells you about even if you weren't blood related, and they could have been this, this group of people, but they all have different last names, um, that even after emancipation, 20 plus years later, these guys are still living together as a family unit because that's you you know you established your family based off of whoever you know was around you yeah and that's the other reason that you don't see the exodus of people moving out of different areas of the country to new areas is because they were busy trying to find their families and to establish a life of their own and i just think that's amazing yeah it really is uh, unbelievable and, and sometimes the people that you are with whether they're blood or not do become your family and you share exactly. those experiences and you share life events and all those moments together who who better to identify with than people who have gone through the same stuff that you have gone through and you know obviously nobody wanted to have to go through slavery and deal with all that and how awful that was but to have people who understand what you went through, how hard it was, how life got you to where you are, I think is important, whether they share a last name with you or not. Exactly. And, and to, the, to see that they're established and they're willing to admit that connection to Hiram Young, again, not admit, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, you don't see a lot of people, you don't see a lot of uh, former slaves being like, hey, my owner was so-and-so, and this is where I was. That's just not how it was. They wanted to move on. So again, it establishes how important he was at the time period. And, you know, he goes, you know, he's got an inventory worth $50,000. It's like, he's That's a lot back then though, right? I mean. He, yes, he was literally one of the richest men in the entire county. Like, and he was a freed slave. Wow. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and then, of course, things are getting tense in, in independence because of the the onset of the civil war. And so, you know, that even union troops aren't going to be the nicest to him um, because even we, we know from records that both union and Confederate, both of them, plus bushwhackers, everybody just stole people's property. So things aren't looking good there. So he actually moves to Leavenworth during the civil war. And it makes sense why he chose Leavenworth. It's because he can still outfit freighters. Yeah. <laughs> he, can still, he can still work with the government. So he moves to Leavenworth and I find it interesting that he was actually a Democrat, which I know sounds to us today because the parties don't make sense anymore, but he was a Democrat when 
when African Americans were cheering on for, you know, Abraham Lincoln and the Republican Party, Mm -hmm. um, it was very odd that he, he was a staunch Democrat. So Democrats believed in the institution of slavery. Read that however you want. Maybe that's how he was able to maybe uh, convince people that he was different than everybody else or was some type of anomaly. I don't know, but he really did attend political meetings or Democratic meetings and things like that. So he's pretty politically active up in in Leavenworth, but he's still outfitting travelers on the trail. Um, And he, while he's in Leavenworth, he meets a guy and because he wants to establish a, a church in in independence there's no african-american you know ame church and what's interesting is that he stays past the civil war so he's up there in like 1866 so he ends up meeting this guy when he's up there and his name is hiram what are the what are the what what a coincidence right (laughs) his name is hiram rebels and he's a minister and he's well-educated black man and he says, come to Independence and help me establish my church. And he's like, okay. So he does. And he serves, this Hiram Revel serves as the first minister of the church. And then shortly after establishing the church. So Hiram Young, not only, you know, was this massive success in Independence, he also establishes the first Black church in Independence that still exists. Wow. He ends up in 1870, the, the guy moves away. Um, you know, and goes on to new opportunity. He actually moves to Mississippi and he becomes our first black senator in the United States. <laughs> it's like, what? That's pretty wild, man. Like, like Howard yeah. Young was the man. Like, the, he this, knew talent. Yeah, he really did. Like, like this guy, oh my goodness, what a great, great person to have right here in our community and, and to have somebody that kind of changed lives for others, changed lives for himself, built a business, built a church, you know, uh, accentuated the, uh, the, the skills of other people in the community as well. Yeah. And then, I mean, his legacy still lives today. I mean, he's got a school or had a school named after him. His family's yeah. got some styes still to the area. So it's like, like this guy did so many amazing things almost 200 years ago and he still has a lasting legacy on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And in 1874, you said he started the first black school in independence called the Douglas school named after Frederick Douglas renamed for the Hiram Young school. They're actually doing something now with the building. So it's still going to have a Hiram something with it. Um, but the railroad killed his business. So he wasn't doing that great. He actually had a big fire too. Um, that was, that was really brutal to his business. Um, And then I thought it was really interesting that the Kansas City Star even said, everybody needs to help him rebuild because the fire insurance he had wasn't enough to cover everything he had. And people jumped in and and helped buy him new equipment to keep going. Um, So it was like the white community got behind him. Everybody gets behind him. So he actually lost a lot of property also during the Civil War, $22,000 in property that he sued for. And they kept denying his claim over and over and over again. And um, I thought it was interesting that that claim actually went past his death. His daughter even fought for it. And it finally was denied in 1907. Wow. I mean, 1907, they're looking for $22,000 of stolen property by the union. And they denied him all those years. And his daughter's like, oh, hell no. Yeah. And she just kept fighting for it. And unfortunately never got it because he lost all his wealth. Um, so he he passes away in 1882. He's buried in Woodlawn Cemetery. And which is really interesting is even noted in the paper, it says, as a special mark of the respect in which he was held, his body was buried among the white people. So he wasn't buried separately. And it's a very prominent, very, very nice stone and very well marked 
um, for Hiram Young. His wife died in 1896. His daughter was a teacher, actually. Mm -hmm. um, she even taught at Lincoln here in Kansas City. She never had any children. So they're in one kid and then you don't have any kids. So there's the end of the thing. Right. Uh, you're or the end of the road, if you will, for his direct line. But in 1987, this is pretty cool because this is like before, you know, people really fought for, uh, unfortunately have to fight to be able to get landmarks and things named or things named for somebody, whether it's a park or whatever. In 1987, a park was named for Hiram Young um, and a part of a street in Independence. And then in 2011, in 2011, the new Red Bridge over by where I grew up, the new Red Bridge includes 10 panels of, of different uh, pioneers that influenced the Santa Fe Trail in some way. And Hiram Young was chosen for one of those. And then in 2012, a decorative panel was put in independence describing his life and if you stand in front of it you can stare and look right there's like this cell phone tower and it's right it sits right where his old shop was that's and pretty cool so you can stand there and like go that's where it was and the other cool thing kind of a side note is that decorative panel is at mccoy park william mccoy that park was named after him and he's the guy who really helped hiram with his books and things like that so i find that to be very appropriate. <laughs> Hiram Young had a major impact on Kansas City, and I love when guys go out there and they think about doing what's best for others as opposed for themselves. Hiram Young's influence is still felt today right here in both Kansas and Missouri. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.